Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story. You know. Have you a real love of books and learning? This is Adventures in Library Instruction. This is episode 33, and it's, what, February 2012. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I apparently can't be trusted to say the um, episode numbers right, because <laughs> last time I insisted that it was episode two, and then I was called on it, and I said, no, 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 no. I said 32, and apparently I said it's episode two twice this is episode 33 we've just double checked that and uh i'm jason puckett in atlanta georgia and i'm the communication librarian at georgia state and let's introduce our regulars and uh then we'll we'll introduce our special guest hey everybody (laughs) happy president's day this is anna vanskoik i am a (laughs) reference librarian i work at um I work for a county public library system in the fabulous state of New Jersey. I'm Rachel Borchard. I'm the science librarian at American University. And I think if you listen to like the first five minutes of every episode of ours, it would just sound like a general descent into madness. Like I'm worried it's just going to get worse from here. We won't know our names. We won't know the episode numbers. <sighs> oh, well. We know what's going we can, on. Yeah, we can go back. We can go back and Google this stuff later. That's okay. But we have a special. We have a special guest. Yay! Welcome, Laura. Hi there. I'm Laura McElfresh. I am the assistant director at the OSU OKC Library out here in Oklahoma City, and my title is assistant director. But what I mostly do day in day out is cataloging. And that's how we know you is from uh, all of our past uh, past lives at Emory University, where you were a cataloger there. So um, cool! Thanks uh, for being on the podcast tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. So it's always great to get reference and instruction people talking with the tech services people. And I don't Heck I don't yeah. remember whose idea this was, but it's something we had thought about doing for a while, and we wanted to kind of talk about the role of the catalog in uh, in instruction, and you assigned us some reading. You were all over this topic and immediately gave us some assigned reading for uh, this episode. Do you want to talk about uh, start by talking about this book that uh, that we all yeah, read at least a little yeah. of? Sure, I would say it was more of suggested reading, but y'all just jumped right on it. Uh, the book is called <laughs> Magic Search: Getting the Best Results from Your Catalog and Beyond. And it is a 2009 ALA publication by Rebecca S. Cornegay, Heidi E. Buchanan, and Hildegard B. Morgan. Uh, you want me to read the ISBN or anything? No, no, that's <laughs> no. funny, I think. And we'll, we're going to link to it, of course, in the show notes. Okay, yeah, we'll just do it that way. But what it mostly deals with is um, subdivisions, Library of Congress subdivisions, how they're used in the catalog, and how these are very 
powerful ways to narrow down a catalog search. And part, I think, of what really does a person good with reading this book is not just that it gives you the helpful hints and the tips and tricks, but also that it just shows how incredibly powerful and how focused Library of Congress subject headings can be. Uh, I learned some stuff from it, I'll tell you that. Well, I did not. I, this is this is almost a reference book, kind mm-hmm. of, in the way. I mean, I started to read it front to back, and I, I realized that that's probably not how I would actually use this book most yeah, of the time. Yeah, it's kind of like reading the phone book, but each chapter does have a little... It has some words at the beginning, if that makes sense. It has paragraphs that explain what the lists in the upcoming chapter are going to be about. Like here, I'm looking at it's about time, time periods, and chronological subdivisions. Well, it starts out with a little overview, and then after that, you'll see a lot of lists of subdivisions. And no, you're really not going to read it and learn from it that way, but reading the introductions things like that, and then you know what's going to be contained in there. But yeah, it is very much a keep it on hand and use it as a reference book type thing. And it's really kind of, I mean, if you told me, read this book about Library of Congress subdivisions, I would probably be asleep <laughs> before you finish telling me that. But um, it's it's actually really, it's, it's really fun and interesting, and just sort of picking it up and skimming it at random is um, mm-hmm. is very rewarding and fun. And we were, we were saying um, before we started recording, I, I think we all had to ILL this, or at least I know a couple of us did, and, and we were all saying we were going to um, order a copy for our own libraries just because this is so cool and useful. Mm-hmm. I oh, actually yeah. went on Google Books to read it. Oh wow! <laughs> I didn't know it was on Google Books. Oh, I could have saved the ILL. It's um, yeah, because I I don't know if the whole thing is here. I kind of just I read the introduction and I perused the topics. And I I think the thing that was interesting about it for me was um because I feel like I use this all the time, especially with the guidebooks and um social life and customs because those are two very different things and mm-hmm. um. One of them that they used in here, they talked about study guide, or what was it? Um, I want to see if I can find it. Study and teaching and, um, like, the, the subdivision, study and teaching, and then the subdivision, instruction and study. And you look at those, like, how are those different? But then this kind of gives, it really does kind of give you that background information on how you can use them more efficiently and effectively. I mean, even though study appears in both of those subdivisions. It was inter- I mean, it was just, it was interesting to look through. And yeah, like you said, I could, I don't know if I would read it front to back, but it's something I would definitely look at the, um, the table of contents and kind of go into that area. You know, if there was something specific I was trying to find, whether it was a time period piece or something of that sort. So I think, I think of the four of us, I will readily admit that I probably know the least about subject settings of the four of us, because I came into this being like, oh, yeah, I know how to use them. Like, it's not, you know, like I started the keyword, then I find the appropriate subject heading, and then I look at the, you know, the list of subheadings with, within that subject heading. But, like, I I would say I read about a third of the chapters, and, like, every chapter had multiple things. I was like, oh, my God, I could totally use this, or I could put this on a libguide, and it would be so helpful. Like, I was kind of blown away, and I feel a little sheepish in that I'm wondering if I, like, missed a class in grad school. <laughs> but that's oh, what it felt, but I, I totally, it, it was like getting schooled, you know? Um, like, like the I one said, that I, I got schooled, too, and I work with this stuff all the time. There's <laughs> just no way you can know all of it, because the Library of Congress subject headings, the red books, we're up to five big old books now. And right. 
then you start adding all of these subdivisions onto it. That's a lot of stuff. That is some powerful stuff, and there's no way that you're going to be able to know all of it. I get schooled, too, when I read it, to be honest with you. Rachel, you were talking about using this to build libguides, and I had the same thought. Like, they, they give one of my favorite parts of it is well, I mean, the book is called Magic Search, but they have <laughs> magic searches in their examples, and it's mm-hmm. like, um, it's got a sample pre built Boolean search, and it's like, if you want to catch all of these different relevant subject headings, just put in like, the name of your person and and then it's got a long boolean string after that to catch all of it and i was thinking that would be so perfect if you were working on a libguide and you like if your students are looking for biographies about you know musicians or whatever just you look at the music part you look at the at the people chapter and you kind of combine those and it would it, you just sort of plug that into a a canned search would be so useful my my favorite so far um, was the aspects one where it was saying you can take any topic and combine it with the word aspects and then find different, you know, like psychological aspects or economic aspects. Oh, yeah. And because we cover this all the time in our uh, first year college writing cl- you know, course is about taking a topic and then we call it applying a lens to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we show them the subject specific um, databases that we have. But this is an awesome way because a lot of times they have they struggle to come up with all that many lenses Right. Like usually psychology and sociology are the two that they can really, you know, think about readily. But it would be so easy for for me to be like, okay, go into the catalog, type this in. And um, even just looking at the results can help give them some ideas about where to take their research. So, yeah, that was the one that I thought was the coolest. But I agree that a lot of the magic searches they give uh, were really good. And I hadn't thought of the vast majority of them, for which I am humbled and <laughs> honored. <laughs> so, Laura, you have been both a cataloger and a reference librarian, sometimes simultaneously, always simultaneously, maybe. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yep. What, uh, it, what, what do reference and instructions, uh, instruction librarians not know about the way the catalog works that you think we should know? Oh goodness, that's like good. uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. That's well, question. that's that's meant to be a conversation starter, right? So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, How about number one tip. Let's start with start small. I say. Oh geez, I was going to actually start big. <laughs> try to focus down. Okay, a do that then. <laughs> because, what I was thinking of is that maybe people don't realize that all of the subject analysis that we do, that then feeds into keywords. When you want to do a keyword search a lot of times it'll pull up keywords that have come from the subjects. So sometimes it'll pull up things from the abstract, from the summary, the publisher description, whatever. But then the natural language type stuff, the keyword stuff can be very, it can be inconsistent sometimes, which of course cataloging isn't always perfectly consistent either. We say that no two catalogers will ever catalog the same thing the same way. And, in fact, if you look back at your own record from, say, five months ago, you'll be like, what was I thinking? Uh, How did I not leave this? How did I not put this in? How did I use this word instead of that? But, anyway, at least there is some consistency of vocabulary once you get to the subject headings. And you, Rachel, being a science librarian, you know that science publications, the titles and things, what you see is what it's about. There don't tend to be 
cute pun titles, things like that. <laughs> right. I mean, so sometimes, also- like, Latin, there could be, like, the Latin name for, you know, what a cockroach is or something. But Right, yeah. right. Not and too many, yeah, synonyms going on. What is the yeah, Latin name for a cockroach? I don't it's know. It's Latin Day something or another. Oh, it? my God. These science people. <laughs> no, that's that's the Jeopardy champion talking right there. That's right. That. <laughs> that's, I think I read it in Bloom County, actually, years and years ago. There was that little roach room. Anyway, though. And this is why I have to look things up whenever I'm doing my job. Um, but anyway. Well, actually, there's an example that I give from science, from mathematics, my background. And that's that I can think off the top of my head of three different, very different meanings for the word normal. In one meaning, it just means perpendicular, orthogonal. In another, it has to do with topology and how a space or a shape can be partitioned up. And then it has another application in higher algebra. And I'm not going to get into that, but just to tell you that the three of them are not even in ways that I know of related. They're just completely different. And so that's just how natural language keywords can break down unless you have other um, other things to distinguish. Damn, math right. is hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like shopping. <laughs> uh, cockroaches, by the way, are insects of the order Blattaria or Blattodea. So uh, full credit to Laura on that one, yeah. Um, can you frame that in the form of a question, please? Frame your oh, answer in the form yeah. of a question. <laughs> no. single jeopardy, though, isn't it? I get prompted for that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess one of the things that I, I still can't wrap my head around. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying it's double jeopardy where Trebek's all ruthless and he won't prompt you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By then, you're supposed to know. Yep. Oh, anyway, though, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that I I had kind of thought, and I think they even talked about this in the book, that I really did think with keyword searching and catalogs that the controlled vocabulary, the Library of Congress subject headings, was just going to go away. I mean, it was just, it's like, why do you need it? Because I can do a keyword search and I can pull up topics from um, the table of contents. I can pull up, you know, pull those keywords from maybe a summary of the book or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I'm still trying to, because I still do a keyword search a lot of time, like a, a general keyword search. I don't necessarily do keyword search in the subject headings, even though I feel like I've become, I become more familiar with them, you know, as the longer I become a librarian, the longer I am a librarian, the longer I become, one day I'll be a librarian. <laughs> and I think, you know, there are times where I will do keyword in the subject, but a lot of times I do the general keyword. And I think it's, and I don't know, you know, again, this is like the magic elves doing their work behind the catalog and, and you do get a lot of mishits. I think you get, um, false hits or whatever they call it. And I'm, I don't think, I mean, I know that they tried to, I guess when they were doing these, um, searches, they were trying to think in a Google kind of way. And um, I was—I guess I was still trying to wrap my head around that method. I cannot talk tonight, you guys. That method that they were using. Mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense? I mean, it's just kind of you think about the keyword search, and I usually tell people just go in and do your keyword search because you don't know the subject headings. Right, you right. know, do you yeah. really know the subject headings that they're going to use? And this is what someone said. I'm going, like you were saying, Laura. Someone looked at this book and examined it and said, "I'm going to assign this subject heading to it." And it's almost, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if it's, it's still perfect. Um, I do think it can be powerful, like the book says. I think that some of the examples they use are very powerful. Um, but a case that I was thinking of is that our catalog is that quote-unquote discovery tool that they talked about in the book, mm-hmm. where it's actually, when I think of searching the catalog, I think of getting as specific as possible. You know, doing the, doing the I want this and this. But what I found with the discovery tool is that you actually less is more. Like you just want to put in a couple of words and then I think I can't remember what they call it, facet based yeah, searching. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then narrowing it down. So it's almost like this bizarro world for me of searching because I'm putting in little information and then I'm using those um delimiters off to the left to narrow it down some more. I don't know. I'm still. I mean, it's it's something I still struggle with with my catalog, trying to kind of do it the most efficient way. And I'm like, do I need to study this book more so I can tackle my catalog? I feel like the discovery layers are like we could have a whole separate episode on teaching discovery layers because I know it's. I mean, like Anna, it's something I struggle with, but it's for that exact reason that we're really comfortable using some of those advanced tips and tricks. And that's exactly what they take away in a discovery later to try and make it easier for people who don't know yeah. what they're doing. And so that's good because usually people will come up with something, but you can't do the kind of fine tuning and tailoring, you know, like I, I hate that our discovery layer, you can't refine by call number and, mm. you know, and like sometimes I know yeah. I'm only going to want cues. I don't want any of those other rubbish call numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. I hate that we can't browse by call number in my OPAC. I end up, mm-hmm. and because y'all know that I always like to look at the record that I've created from what the, the patron is going to see. I uh-huh. like using the public view of it, but my cataloging software lets me browse by call number, so I end up doing that a lot more than I feel I should. Yeah. But when, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm totally Sorry. butting in tonight, too. I can't talk, and I keep butting in. But wait, no, I forgot I was going to say. Please hold. Let me think. <laughs> well, I, I have to tell you guys uh, about um, when I was trying to – and this this is hard. This is all hard to explain to students because they're not used to using subject headings and they're, they're not really, you know, clued into to how they work and how they're an advantage. Last week I did a class session. I think it was last week or the week before. I did a class session and – I, I, you know, I pulled up a record and I, I was pointing to the subject headings and I sort of explained really briefly, you know, these are these are the subjects. How are they? And I said, how are they useful to you as a researcher when you're searching? And pause. And there's a pause. And this young woman raises her hand. She goes, "Well, I think this is a terrible analogy, but." I think they're like tags. And I said, that's not a terrible analogy. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I was just, I was so proud of, of this student in my class. I was like, oh, that's great. You got it. You got it. So, 
Um, but, you know, so that's an analogy that they, they sort of understand, and it's one I think I stole from Rachel many years ago, but um, but it works. Um, I, I've still never come up with a really good way to explain controlled vocabulary to students. Um, I, I feel like I'm sort of fumbling around with that still, even after all these years, trying to find a good way to, to make them understand what what the advantage of a controlled vocabulary is because all they see is it's hard because they're using these these unintuitive words right oh uh don't get me started on that that is definitely <laughs> one of cookery the shortcomings of library of congress <laughs> cookery they got rid of that they got rid of cookery i know i, I still know. think it's funny though yeah, my favorite one spend a week like terminating cookery with extreme prejudice <laughs> um, the one that i love showing i always do a harry potter search and I love showing them that not only does Harry Potter have his own subject heading, and I think I think I'm right on that, but then there's boy wizards juvenile fiction, and they're just like, what? <laughs> like, nice. who would ever want to look for that? Yeah, boy yeah, wizards. Before Harry Potter got all awesome, oh, I mean, before there were a bunch of other books. It's always funny to go and find the first book in a series before everybody <laughs> gets their personal headings. Before there's kind of the because you know Hogwarts has a, yeah. a heading too. It's um, yep. yeah. It would be a subject. Uh, but anyway, before all that stuff happens, just going back to the first book and seeing how it got kind of contained as best it could, and how that's why there's the boy wizards, um, probably boarding schools, something like that. Yeah. Orphans. So, people... I think orphans is in there too. What is uh, it? I do people ever? Is one of them. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you put? Do you ever go back and then add like? If I looked up Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, I guess, is it going to have Harry Potter now as a subject heading? Or do you just First leave it? I certainly do that. I didn't have the clearance to do that in the main OCLC catalog. And I'm not really sure it would be my place to do that, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, you know, changing something in the whole catalog world, that's kind of a brave move <laughs> yeah but yeah certainly we got all the harry potters at once which made it easy because i was able to go through and make yeah. sure that the headings were consistent make sure that you pull up one you're going to pull all of them up using you know harry potter hogwarts making sure that there were that some of the the broader themes were represented in all the subject headings but yeah then again that is it's not a perfect system nothing ever is and catalogers <laughs> I just like to say love the catalog or hate the catalog. <laughs> I think that should be the name of the episode. I do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> love the catalog um, or hate it, the it catalog. It is so written. Okay. Yeah. Yay. So I have Jason, another one of the question. Th- oh. oh, sorry, Anna. No, I just go wanted Because I don't know that much about the cataloging world, and I feel really sheepish about it, but, you know, no, you let my ignorance so be an example you- for others. Yeah, well, that's right. I kind of. Well, well, I did take a catalog. They require as much cataloging as they might. And yeah. people who aren't intending to become catalogers don't necessarily go out like and class. seek out more of it. And then also there's not necessarily that much communication between the departments, which still makes me sad. Yeah, me too. But you uh, shouldn't be sheepish about it. Just go ahead and ask. You don't, Because how would you all feel if, if people were sheepish about asking you things as librarians? <laughs> That's we, true. We, we, get, job. we get very impatient with them. We say, why won't these students ask for help? <laughs> yeah, so ask us for help. We're librarians, too. I, um, I'm sorry. Rachel, go ahead, and then I'll tell my story. 
it's okay. Um, my so my question is, um, I know that there's copy cataloging, right? Is that right? Where like yep. you just take the main OCLC record and dump it into your catalog. But then I know that you guys do cataloging, right? It can't be copy and pasting all day. So like, what kind of stuff do you do original cataloging on? Do you like enhance what you download from OCLC? You know, like so like if I take the subject headings that I'm familiar with at American, how well is that going to translate? You know, like is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone always going to appear under the subject heading Harry Potter, no matter where I am, or is there a lot of variation in how individual records get handled depending on where you are? It Sorry, that's a long It depends question. on where you are. No, no, I followed all of that. It definitely depends on where you are. Um, here, well, depending on how flaky I've been at the time, our cataloging might be a little more consistent because it's only me. There's going to be some temporal inconsistency because of whoever was doing the cataloging before I got here, and then whoever was doing the cataloging before he was, etc., etc. But now that it's just me, I'm going to be like, okay, yeah, we've got the other Harry Potter books. Let me make sure that this one has the same has the the right kind of headings on it. Let me make sure that they're consistent. Mm -hmm. Also, I have that luxury. I'm very fortunate to be able to do that and to ensure that kind of quality. I know that y'all are pressed for time. You're pressed for showing how many questions you've answered, how many instruction sessions you've taught, etc. We're even more widget-driven than that. Some some cataloging departments, it's a very production-driven environment, and it's just get these things off your desk as fast as you can. Uh, then also, at you were talking about the different kinds of cataloging. I do pretty much all of it. Some of them, if it's a really good record, or if I've got a really big backlog at the beginning of a semester, say, I'll just take that record and pretty much just drop it straight into the catalog, mm -hmm. which you don't really need to know the mechanics, but it's not copy and pasting. It's just that we download... It's like downloading a web page or something and, and archiving it, kind of. Okay. That's the best way I can think of it. Uh, and we do that. And then some of them, like I said, it's just straight-up copy cataloging. The record is good. Uh, I'll just take it. There are others where it might not have a Dewey number because we're on the Dewey Decimal System. Mm -hmm. And then if I feel really good about the number I've assigned then I'll go ahead and add that in, and I'll upgrade the record. Some of them won't have as many subject headings as perhaps they should. And if it's if it's kind of an uncommon thing, then I'll feel better about doing that. If it's a book that a whole lot of libraries have, then I'm going to feel a little shyer about it. Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of a who am I to do this. No, that you know, makes not, sense. Not being yeah. It's just like, what if I screw yeah. it? And so one other suggest a change, but yeah, and then sometimes there are things like we get a lot of medical DVDs, and sometimes th there won't be those in the catalog at all, and I'll be doing that from scratch. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at a big place like Emory, we had different people assigned to all of those different things. You would have people who do nothing but copy, people who do complex copy, people who do mostly original. And then we had it split up among formats as well, whereas I do everything. Mm -hmm. I do periodicals, monographs, um, 
media, all that stuff. If it comes in, I'm handling it. Okay, I, now I've lost my way. What were we getting at? <laughs> I don't know. I well, think it had to do with cataloging consistency. I don't... But, oh, yeah. yeah. And just, oh, yeah, and can you be guaranteed that, like you said, if you pull, down, if you pull up Harry Potter, it's going to be consistent? And, again, it's who's doing what. Mm-hmm. Do they have the luxury of being able to upgrade the records? Because, you know, it's not that people don't want to be good cataloging bibliographic citizens. It's just that sometimes <laughs> And we hate not being able to. Okay, that makes so, sense. Yeah, it really depends. I can't tell you what's going to happen at American. Right. I need to ask my own catalogers for that. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> And if you find something that's really just messed up, go ahead and ask them about it, because mistakes happen. Yeah, and I found they're pretty amenable to that. I I always thought that at first it was, like, me telling them how to do their job and, like, criticizing, you know, but half the time it's someone else that inputted anyway, you know, before they got there. And they seem to be as interested in making sure that people can find the things as we are, which is nice to know. Well, too. (laughs) Like we were talking about, the headings change over time, and mm-hmm. it's not—it's yeah. perhaps not as swift as I would like it. But there has been a push towards more intuitive language. Again, ditching the cookery thing, mm-hmm. and maybe not everybody was able to strip those out. Maybe they didn't get to have that fun little time. I think it was right around winter break. I was sitting around playing whack-a-mole with cookery. <laughs> I, I, do remember, I do recall you gloating about that on Twitter. Oh, I was. I was gloating all day long. <laughs> what did it get changed to? Just cooking? Cooking. Cooking. Okay. Absolutely cooking, which is what it should yeah. be. <laughs> I, I don't remember if I've ever told this story or not on the podcast. If I have, it's been a long time. But actually, my first job at my current library where I work now was doing cataloging. And I was a cataloger for... Six or eight weeks, maybe, something like that. Uh, paraprofessionally, it was before I went to library school. And um, I, I had been doing it for a few weeks, and I got a call to interview in the reference department. And they paid better, so I ended up moving down to the <laughs> reference department. But I had been doing cataloging just long enough to realize that I, I didn't think that I was ever going to be very good at it. But it gave me so much respect for the the level of detail and and the just the the attention to precision that's required of it. It is just amazingly detailed work, and um, I I just have so much respect for people who do it because I would never have been any good at it in the long term. <laughs> but I also learned a lot just from spending a couple of months on kind of the back end of the catalog, I learned a lot about how it works. And I think that it did me a lot of good in my first reference job because I I learned, you know, tricks about searching and things like Mm -hmm. that that I don't think I would ever have thought of if my first, well, it wasn't my first exposure, but if if I had only had the the exposure to the OPAC and never to... um, sort of the back end of it. I learned some tricks about, you know, hidden stuff in the records that even though you couldn't see it, you could search for and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I, I think it would be really useful for for every reference librarian to take some kind of cataloging class or at least, you know, sit down with one of your own catalogers and, and kind of 
learn the the tricks of the system because I found it amazingly useful. I mean, I've forgotten everything that I knew, and I, uh, mm-hmm. at this point, and I, I think we've changed catalog systems since then. But um, uh, yeah, so that was that was my point with that. <laughs> oh yeah, well, there's all kinds of information contained in there, and now the trouble also with library school cataloging courses is that they don't really teach you how to do the job and they can't because every place has its own little quirks every you know they have different systems you know they have different ILS systems I mean not just systems of doing things but Mm -hmm. then there's also the different systems of doing things so what you learn in library school is the broad theory behind it Mm -hmm. and then you just have to jump into the deep end on the job and learn the mechanics of actually doing the things. But learning to read a catalog record and learning to read all of the information that's in it, like in those little fixed fields mm-hmm. up at mm-hmm. the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and even in some of the cataloging reforms, people have been saying, well, if I enter the date up here in the fixed field in one or two sets of four digits, then why should I type it out in language below where it's not going to be consistent, it's not going to be necessarily parsable by a machine? And there have been people thinking about that, considering more, like if we set one on the thing that says, does it have an index, then why should we type out includes index? That's just introducing (laughs) opportunities typos, which I'm real good at. But, but then wouldn't you then need a front end that could translate that one, you know, so that if I wanted yes. to know if someone, something yes, has an index. that's exactly what you would need. And yeah. And the does trouble it do that is now? That lately, I don't, I can't say with any certainty that there's not a system out there that does. But if there is, then I don't think I've seen it. Yeah. You might be able to search by it, but it wouldn't just pop up that information, you know, it wouldn't display it to the patron yeah. from what's in the fixed fields. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're searchable, but um, if you don't ask, they're not going to tell you. Right. right. I feel like catalogs do that a lot, where they just, it seems, <laughs> they never build it for the librarian in mind. You know, it's like, well, students don't need that. You know, but then if if I'm not an expert, but I know enough to know that there's an index field, uh-huh. I don't, you know, like I don't, I don't have the expertise to show it, to be able to search for it, without it being in the catalog. Rawr. Right. Right. <laughs> in what you see, and it's tough because with so many of the advances and what we're trying to do with library catalogs and metadata. I mean, now it's just being absorbed more into the larger metadata world. We're trying to get catalogs to go to a new, better place that's going to be fully, more fully integrated with the web and with the information world at large. Mm-hmm. But then it's hard for us to articulate what we need library systems to be able to do. It's hard to articulate on reference people's behalf and on patrons' behalf what it should be able to do. And it's just not clear how quickly the software vendors are going to make that happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always tell my students, like, even with databases, like, we're just behind every other, you know, (laughs) technology in every other realm. 
Like, if you're looking the, for this to be smart or to act like Google or to know what it is that you want to search for, just forget about it. It's not going to happen. You have to know how to work it. And that I don't see that going away anytime soon. Yeah. <sighs> we can but dream it, I, about it. But it does sound like, I mean, the more, you know, the back end, the front end, catalogers and, like, and reference people can talk together about, you know, experiences and how to make it work it's only going to result in a, in better, you know, communication with the vendors and better searches, better understanding between mm-hmm. everyone. So I am in favor of it. <laughs> well, the thing is what we've got basically right now is OPAC records that act like card catalog records. Yeah. It's not quite the same in that you don't have the three places oh, no, some lazy person tore out the card instead of writing things down, so it's missing. <laughs> I mean, it is much better in that, and you do have yeah. much more powerful searching instead of letting your fingers do the walking. But the way the information is organized in there, it's still very, very static. You can interact with it in a not necessarily so static way. But um, here I'm getting outside the scope of what y'all are wanting to talk about. No, it's but. fine. I just realized, like, so what happens to me sometimes when I do searches is I'll find this really great subject heading, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, and I click on it, and it's the only book that, that has that subject <laughs> heading. Right, right. Right? That's happened to you guys? Yeah. I think, I think that happened to me this morning on the reference desk. I can't remember what the <laughs> subject was, but I found exactly the right subject heading yeah. and clicked it, and there, oh, that's just the one book, but... You know, it makes all... me wonder. That yeah, would be an and, excellent and time you... to... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Laura. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes it happens that you see a really cool subject heading, and then it's got maybe some aspects attached to it. Mm-hmm. So you click on the heading, you're like, oh, okay, I'll use this for some keywords. And then it just pops up that the same subject heading kind of root, I guess I would call it, right. what you're attaching the aspects onto. Yeah, that one's listed three times, so that's why it showed up three different records it's not really it's the same one it's fooling us um but it makes me wonder if that's a good time you know like would laura would you recommend like asking a cataloger like hey is there a more updated subject heading for this you know if i found the juvenile boy wizard or whatever you know (laughs) like would you guys would that be would you guys help with that would catalogers even know what you know like because I just stop at that point. I'm like, okay, we have to try a Why different approach. Why is there approach. only one book with this subject heading kind of thing? <laughs> right. Because I just assumed it was like a really narrow subject heading. But now I'm wondering, like, maybe it was an out-of-date one, you know? And that maybe a cataloger would know what to do. If it looks really out of whack, I would go ahead and ask. Other than that, you got to kind of get a feel for what does your cataloging department have time to do. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Then also it might just be that that's the only book you have right now. Right. And we're planning for the future. And if that's really the best way to describe that book, then yeah. I'm going to certainly yeah. leave it, even if it's the only one that has that particular subject. Right. It might tie into other things. Because you used to, in old records, find just one or maybe two, rec- one or two maybe subject headings. And that's very much a holdover from the card catalog when you had to get everything hmm. to fit on the card. Now you hmm. can just put subject headings all about the joint if that's what it requires. Mm-hmm. And I never thought of that. Yeah. 
So I always thought it was lazy cataloging. <laughs> when I only saw a couple. <laughs> Sorry, no offense. <laughs> None taken. No, sometimes yeah. it might be too 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 specific, you know, because if you're thinking about that main heading and then it's right. subdivisions, I mean, they could go. It could get pretty specific, right? Yeah. And maybe oh, someone yeah. got too specific. Yeah. I guess that's one of the things I miss about our catalog right now. I'm going to go with the hate the catalog right now is I can't browse <laughs> subject headings. I can't bring it up and then kind of, you know, peruse uh, that list and see the subdivisions that, that it breaks it down into. Oh, I, would I can do it on the back end. I can do it on, you know, if I'm using the staff version. But again, I always try to use the public version mm-hmm. because that's who I'm helping. I, you know, it doesn't help do them any good if I bring it up and I show them and I'm like, well, this is actually, you can't see this at home. This right, is just yeah. something the staff has. Um, and can I think still, that's, sorry. Can you click on the subject headings? Like, can yes. you still search by? Okay. But you just can't but browse it, it. Yeah, it doesn't browse it though. Yeah. They took Annoying. away our browse. Oh, it would be so nice if you could get a list of those, like you do in databases where it shows you the different. Yes. Things with stuff stuck on the end. It shows you the broader and narrower topics. Yeah. I, yeah. So great. My favorite is when they show you the number of results yes. in advance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because then I can say, oh, it's a problem with that subject heading. You know, it's not just that I have the subdivision that's really narrow, but like there's only five books on this whole subject heading. So I should probably find a different subject heading or stick to keywords. But I guess what the book was really talking about was helping you understand what those subdivisions were. Like, I never really took those as yeah. subdivisions. I took those, I took them as, I, I don't know what I thought they were. <laughs> I, I guess I never really thought about it. You know, I, I never really sat there and deconstructed the subject, you know, the subject heading that I had in front of me. But it would always be like, oh, social life and customs. Well, that's something I can think about. And it's just something that you, like, put into your catalog arsenal for later on, I guess. Um, because I it, never... Yeah, I never thought of them as being standardized across topics. You know, like I knew subject headings had sub, but I didn't realize there were the same subdivisions and that we could use those keywords, yeah, to pull up those subdivisions across topics. One of the the cool things about this book, Magic Search, that we started off talking about is they point out the inconsistencies in the the subdivisions. Like there's, there's, uh, well, we talked about instructions. Indexes and... Indexes and bibliographies is the one that I thought was hilarious. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm looking at the, a page that's got just like nothing but recommendations for the Library of Congress. It's like, please change these things. Why are there? Uh, <laughs> why do we have graduate students but undergraduates instead of undergraduate students? You know, the, it points out mm-hmm. a lot of the the inconsistencies and things like that, and and weird things about like the word biography is only applied to certain certain types of people but not other types of people and so on so um there's there's lots of really interesting and useful stuff in this book like that i mean it points out some of the the weird stuff that you would assume works one way but actually works another way mm-hmm. and i also like a lot of the examples that they have in here like um in the finding how to guides they have um uh, how to care for your own dead uh, they, have, yeah, they have lots of weird, weird, funny um, examples. Oh yeah, you know they had fun compiling those lists. They obviously did. I mean, obviously they did. A lot of, they a did. Lot of um, enjoyment went into compiling the examples here. So, and I just read what they did, and I just feel like they were just nailing Jello to the wall. I mean, just to wrestle yeah. something like that. I mean, uh, yeah, I, it, it, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, 
Right, Jason, one of the things you were talking about earlier was um, describing controlled vocabulary or talking about controlled vocabulary to your classes. Yeah, sure. Back in the day, 10 years ago, I guess it was, I used to use the yellow book as a an analogy because I'd talk about how you could go under beauty and find, you know, then it would break it down into different categories for you. And I was just thinking about that. I'm like, I couldn't use that today. There's no way I could use get the yellow book as an analogy <laughs> today for controlled vocabulary. Yellow pages. I was trying to figure out what you meant by the yellow book. The yellow pages. <laughs> I'm from Illinois. We say yellow book. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> The rest of the world apparently calls it something different, but that's fine. <laughs> Again, I'm from there. Illinois. We needed we needed some uh, controlled vocabulary there to understand your <laughs> your strange For little dialect. Book, would, see yellow book. It would be the yellow book. See yellow pages. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Anna. <laughs> I was actually thinking that this goes back to where Jason's student was talking about it being like tags, because if you get a big enough social tagging site. You're going to have all kinds of, well, not even misspellings or singular versus plural, but you're going to have different people choosing different synonyms yeah. and then tagging things differently that way. And so, so controlled vocabulary is just that, for better or for worse, one of those synonyms got picked for you, and all the rest of them got thrown in the basket with it. Yeah, yeah. And it's helpful in some ways. It's maybe not if the word is not what you're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, if it's not what you expect it to be. Which yeah. is true in a lot of cases. Yeah. But then it brings together just all of the different synonyms for a, a concept without having to guess multiple times what the person I think would have called it. Even more importantly, it weeds out the unintended keywords that right. aren't really about that right. subject. And that's oh, that's yeah. what I always try to stress to my students. That it it narrows and focuses your topic. And sometimes it'll narrow it too much because you can't guarantee, you know, like some people every now and then will miss what you thought was the good subject heading. They may have thought it was something else and not tagged something that you would consider to be relevant to that subject. But by and large, it's going to narrow down for you so that Mm -hmm. you don't have to. Yeah. I always make them go through this crazy keyword construction with lots of synonyms and ands. And sometimes you throw in some knots and they say, okay, now we can delete all of it (laughs) and just put one subject heading in. I think they get it, though. I hope. I don't know. That's job security. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we're kind of coming up on time here. Laura, is there anything else that that you wanted to uh, talk about that we we didn't hit? No, I think we pretty much covered everything that I expected us to cover. It's been really nice talking with you all here. Like I said, it's always good to get cross-communication between the different parts of the library. Agreed. Yes, we, we need to have more uh, different kinds of librarians in because uh, there's always insights and things that we didn't think of. Laura, thanks so much for taking the time this evening. We really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right. Before we finish out this episode, uh, we got a lot of feedback from uh, last week's discussion and uh, uh, Rachel's topic of uh, critical thinking skills in the classroom. Uh, we got some terrific feedback on this, and uh, we just want to read a couple of these and, and respond briefly to these. Thank you for everybody who posted comments on the blog. By the way, you're um, uh, always encouraged, if you're listening to this, to, uh, to post comments on the blog and or email us at uh, adlibinstruction at gmail.com. And uh, if we start getting more feedback, we'll, uh, 
we'll do this more regularly. Um, so Rachel, you want to take the first one? This was, I think, more or less addressed to you. Yeah. And don't forget, you can also record your own little MP3 and send us an audio response, which happened once from <laughs> Brazil, if you don't feel like uh, submitting a comment or whatnot. Anyway, this is from Mary Ann Mills at West Valley College. I'm just going to read it to all y'all. Uh, I've been trying to figure out how to introduce more critical thinking skills for a long time now, and I applaud the three of you. Oh, yeah. It feels weird to, to read the <laughs> congratulatory stuff. I know people I are saying the- nice stuff. That is weird. <laughs> I know. Awkward. I want to edit it, you know, when I say it myself, but I'll just read it as is. Sorry. Um, uh, And I applaud the three of you and your great ideas in the podcast. Too often I encounter students who want the articles they find to give them the answer they need in one to five sentences in a succinct manner. Yes. I am constantly, (laughs) I'm constantly reminding them that after they actually find the relevant article, they need to synthesize it and relate it back to their topic in their own words. It wasn't until the first, third visit by three of these students that they finally understood that they had to read the material and make the connection to their theses thesis in their own words with their own ideas so i don't think it can be done in a one-hour workshop sorry rachel she says um so thank you marianne um it's true i think i mean we have to remember that library skills are just one subsection of the whole research process and we don't get to control all of that right we can't develop them into great researchers you know, and great writers and great thinkers in one hour. Um, and what Marianne says is definitely part of that. You know, it's the whole process of what do I do now that I've found it? But it all interconnects, too. And I think that's what Marianne's getting at, is that when you understand what it is that you're trying to synthesize, then you have a better idea of what it is you're looking for. And that helps you inform you to make better searches, if that makes sense. And I want to add... So- yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I just want, I wanted to add yep. to that. Hopefully, we, the librarians, are not the only ones who are trying to impart this to the students. Um, <laughs> I know yeah. I worked with some uh, instructors and faculty members this semester who were talking a lot with students about their what the research process was like and what the writing process was like. And we, we were having conversations in class. I mean, this was just a one-shot class, but clearly it was the continuation of a longer conversation they were having about how the research process works and how the writing process works. So it's not all on us. Yeah. And I will say, I think some of my best instruction sessions have been when I talk a bit, um, you know, some critical thinking, some just how to actually search. But then the uh, instructor will talk with each individual student about their topic. And then at some point she'll say, okay, now that you've got some expanded ideas, I'm going to pass it on to Rachel. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about how can we take some of those thoughts that they're having and they'll, we'll continue talking it through. And I sometimes have different perspectives, you know, than the instructor did, but then uh, take that and craft an appropriate, you know, search for it. Um, and I think that really seems to help because then it's kind of more of a seamless process of going from topic formulation to topic refinement, to generating keywords, to doing searches, to refining a search all in one fell swoop. So it kind of, you know, blends the research process together a bit. Awesome. Uh, so let's uh, move on to this feedback we got from uh, Andy Heights from Orange County Community College. Andy says, uh, it struck me that every competent librarian's own approach plays a small role in the overall building of a student's critical thinking. I think this is what I was just saying. We look for immediate <laughs> metrics that allow feedback so we can judge how effective our teaching is. We need to be aware that a measurable dif- difference probably occurs over the course of semesters rather 
than 50-minute classes. Librarians should be confident that what we teach is usable down the road. The road to critical thinking is long and often requires mistakes so that we may learn from them. And yeah, I think this is kind of what what I was just saying. I wasn't reading ahead to the next comment when I was thinking that, but I I always feel like um Rachel your your remark about the back and forth interchange with the uh the instructor really struck a chord with me because I always feel like the best classes, some of the best classes that I have is where the professor is really involved in the discussion too and I feel like if they're getting that from more than one source they're hearing you know the same ideas or or different takes on the same ideas from more than one source over the course of the semester that that it's makes much more of an impact on them mm-hmm. and yeah we're we're looking for immediate metrics that's something that our you know we're struggling with uh right now at my own library is how to do assessment and we've We've talked about assessment before, and I know we will, the three of us will talk about assessment again because it never ends. Um, and it shouldn't. No, no, I'm, you know, and it's something that, that I have never felt that I'm very good at, but that's, that's a discussion for another day. But, um, yeah, I mean, finding the immediate metrics on something that's, that's a long, uh, process that takes four years or more is tough and is always going to be tough. Uh, thank you, Andy, for the feedback. Um, our third person who we heard from is Julie Cornett at Cerro Coso Community College, and this is for the people out there who want something practical to take away from the podcast, my favorite type of information. She shares an example that she uses. She says, I thought of um, perhaps time-consuming way to present the issue of effective keywords is to ask the students to imagine that they had written an article. How would they expect someone to search for it and find it? They have to assign subject terms. And this strategy may make makes the student consider the issue from a different angle. And this is something that I thought was interesting is that she um, could hand out some short articles to groups and have those groups write down what they agree would be the main subject terms. Mm-hmm. And that kind of Why I like that idea is it kind of brings up something Laura had talked about is how people are going to come up with terms, synonyms that may mean the same thing for the articles, but what the controlled vocabulary does is it helps you, it actually helps you focus it and and narrows it down that search for you so you don't have to guess what the keyword is. Mm -hmm. It's going to have the controlled word for you. So I thought that was an interesting perspective and um, a very practical tip. So thank you, Julie. I would never have thought of that as a a classroom exercise, actually having students assign subject headings or assign keywords to an article. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. I think if we wanted to bring yet another episode that we did recently about gaming into it, that you could um, have a prize. Like it could be an actual article in a database. Mm-hmm. You know, and then whoever comes closest uh, could win some sort of prize, as judged perhaps by the other groups, not by you. Well, you know, <laughs> you could you could actually score it by uh, you know how many how many groups came up with the the LC subject headings, or how many groups came <laughs> up with consistent subject mm-hmm. headings. Like if you come up with you know if there are four groups, and if you match what the other three groups came up with, you get more points. Or yeah. I guess everybody, I don't know. I haven't thought this through yet. But, but, but you I'm, could, I'm sure there's a way to do it to make it a, a fun, competitive. Absolutely. I yeah. Think yeah. That's, that's an awesome game. And if you just passed out like the first page of an article with the abstract, 
mm-hmm. you could uh, you know you could do it in like a ten minute activity or something. And think about it: you're going to have the small group within themselves trying to come to a consensus. What are the main mm-hmm. subjects for this yeah. Yeah. article? So you have that kind of um, that kind of subset going on. Then you bring the whole class into it. So I think that that would be interesting to see how that would work out. I think it would probably work better with a magazine or newspaper article, though, just because sometimes abstracts are incredibly misleading, you know, or or if someone doesn't understand, you know, like it's just easier to digest a newspaper article a lot of times. But yeah, I want to try this now. Thank you, Julie. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, everybody who sent in feedback. Again, uh, you can always post comments on the blog or email us at uh, adlibinstruction at gmail.com if you want to send us feedback on the show. And uh, as Rachel pointed out, if you really feel dedicated, you can record an audio <laughs> clip and we will play it and reply to it at the end of next month's episode. And just a reminder that we also do accept um, topics for the show. We're always looking for things to talk about. So if there's something that you want us to talk about, or even if you want to join us and talk about it, send us a line. Right? Absolutely. Awesome. Phew, okay. <laughs> let's let's wrap it up there. This has been uh, episode thirty three, February twenty twelve, and uh, we'll talk to you in a month. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Van Skoik. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks, and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Bonapartes. Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.